When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Your brain needs support. And new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine. Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Hey everybody and welcome to another episode of the Underrated Podcast where we discuss films that we feel are underrated, underappreciated, or those that have just slipped under the radar and passed most people by. My name is Ariel Ortiz, and as always, I am joined by my co-hosts and fellow Undercast Company founders, Alan Juarez and Derek McDuff. Hey, how's it going? Hi, everybody. And today we have a very special guest who I can already tell is an awesome person because of this amazing choice of a movie that I'm super excited to talk about. Writer for Lessons from a Screenplay and co-host of the Beyond the Screenplay podcast, screenwriter Trisha Uran. Thanks so much for joining us, Trisha. I am so excited. Thank you so much. <laughs> I'm so glad to be here. And so excited to talk about this movie. <laughs> yeah. So as I mentioned, Trisha has picked a film that I have loved since I first watched it in 1996. Um, Tom Hanks' written and directed film debut of That Thing You Do. Um, it's a telling of a creation and the creation and journey of a fictional one-hit wonder, The Wonders. Besides the aforementioned Tom Hanks, um, the film also stars... Tom Everett Scott, Liv Tyler, Stephen Vaughn, Jonathan um, Sick. I cannot pronounce it. I had it earlier. Um, sketch, I'll say. <laughs> mm-hmm. Ethan Emery and Charlize Theron. Uh, surprisingly, like in a little in a little pre Charlize Theron era. Um, and what I can only be stated as kind of a travesty. Um, the IMDb score for this is a six point nine, but redemptively and rightfully so on Rotten Tomatoes it is certified fresh with like a 90s in the 90s really which yes finally Rotten Tomatoes you got it good you've once on this podcast (laughs) (laughs) um but still this does not explain how this movie has not been discussed as much in the today's lexicon of banned movies as it should so um so, Trisha, uh, why don't you be our Spartacus and lead us in saying why you love this movie and feel like it's it deserves the underratedness that it does? Uh, there are so many reasons I love this movie. Um, I can't think of another example of a film that so amazingly captures a time and a place and creates a world, and yet all of it is like fictional and sort of unto itself. Like that thing you do 
the song and the band that performed the song in the movie, The Wonders, feel so authentic and real. Like you would swear you're like, oh yeah, that song. Like I heard that song for sure on the radio, like on the oldie station. It just has that quality to it. And there's like amazing songwriting things that we can get into about that. But it's so catchy and hummable and just joyful and exuberant, as is all of the music in this movie. And it's all original. Um, mm -hmm. It's it's an amazing example of a movie that like creates this world really thoroughly. Um, it, it kind of exists in the same sort of like space in cinema history as like a movie like almost famous um mm -hmm. or almost famous and the bands in that feel like they've got to be real bands right like i've heard of them um yeah and yeah. you know in almost famous there's some reality to it where it's like okay he's gonna write an article for rolling stone like that's a real thing you know and there's there's some other bands that are real that are mentioned in almost famous and other music that is like real or, or from the era but that thing you do is all fiction and yet it all feels like such a celebration of something while being wholly fresh and just so surprising and delightful at every turn it's i don't know i you know it's not it's not one of these movies that was like earth shattering and i think that's maybe why it gets forgotten but among movies that are like yeah a celebration of music and and bands and the people who make music it's got to be like i don't know for me it's like a top top mm. example of this kind of <laughs> film which is a, a kind of film that i really love so mm -hmm. yeah definitely yeah it's such a amazing film um derek why don't we hear from you yeah, no, like, I, I think that you really hit it, Trisha, on the head with, like, everything you were saying, because it does feel like it's a, a biopic about a real band. Right. Like, like, you feel like, oh, yeah, this is, like, a story. Like, I kind of had to look up, I'm like, oh, I don't, I think they're not real, but, are, like, the other bands they're talking to, they're, and I look it up, like, no, like, these are all just, like, totally fictional bands. Like, it, it does feel like it is a total recreation of this kind of, like, time period that existed that, and it's, like, I'm like, this is like the best music biopic that made, like one of the best ones, right? if not like the best, and it's not for a real band. So even to like the point where they have the the end credits, they have like the kind of like what happened to everybody, just like, exactly. you know, all, all those, like, you know, a music biopic covering all these bands would do. Um, but I think that it, the reason it works a lot better than a lot of these other music biopics is because there is no real band that you have to please. You don't have right. to show like the equal amount of shots of queen like you don't have to like keep cutting back to them <laughs> um so i i do really just enjoy it i think that it is just it's so feels so like heartwarming and fun and just like it's it's not like sappy or like saccharine or anything but you do just feel good watching it you mm -hmm. you love these characters even the ones that are not the best you're kind of like okay i can still like understand you and relate to you everyone feels really unique I, I, for me, my favorite character was um, the character played by Steve Zahn. He is one of my favorite actors. Lenny, mm -hmm. Lenny yes, thank you. Like he's like his weird sense of humor, just like I'm not here with the the band. I just I'm gonna win that that gold that <laughs> blue room with a pig. Like, <laughs> yeah. Like or just you know all the jokes about the Oneaters and just Love and it. you know you talk about how it does like the song is just incredible. Like it's a banger. Like this song is so oh, good. Yeah. And it, it has to be because 
you hear it so many times that mm-hmm. by the end of it, if this song isn't incredible, you're like, shoot me in the face. Like, I'm done with hearing this song. But it's so good. It's so catchy. And it is a song that when it came out in the 90s, it actually, for real, like, art imitating life, yeah. climbed the Billboard <laughs> charts. I think it made it up into the 40s, you know? Because, and, and got it's, nominated it, for an Oscar. Yes, thank you. Yeah, they yeah. got nominated for the Oscar. I will um, get into that later. <laughs> but yeah, <laughs> but yeah I, I really love it. I didn't come to this movie until about a year ago. Um, it was one of the movies I watched during the lockdown, and I didn't really know what it was just because you know it does. You know, even though it it got good reviews, it has a good Rotten Tomato score. It didn't really do that much at the box office. Nobody's really talked about it. And I thought it was just kind of like this Tom Hanks kind of like 90s rom-com, like Sleepless in Seattle or something, which, you know, like, I, I love those movies, but, you know, I was like, this is not that. This is something else that I really, I really just enjoyed all of this. It, um, you know, so I, when you mentioned it, Trisha, uh, I was, I talked to Ariel about it. We were both fully on board to talk about this movie and go for it. This, this and like, you, you really love the characters too. Like, that, as good as all that is and all the music is and everything, that's what really sets it apart, I feel like, is you believe these characters and their relationships, the kind of, like, subtle flirtation going on between mm-hmm. some of them. You're just like, oh, man. Because they're, they're, they're not, like, overt about it. They're not, like, oh, you know, backstabbing and, like, betraying people. But you, you do really care about everyone in this. Um, so, I, I'll honestly, just a um, really fun time. Uh, a quick question for you guys. Which version did you watch? Did you watch the the uh, the regular theatrical cut or the extended? Because I made sure to, I actually watched the extended cut. Um, so I'm curious what you guys watched. Yeah, I watched the original. I did read um, about the extended. Like, there's an additional um, scene where it's kind of implies that Tom Hanks is gay, um, and and you meet his partner, played by Howie Long. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. 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 Yeah, yeah. So, I watched um, the original as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I have seen the extended, but not in quite a while. It's just mm-hmm. not as as easily like accessible, or at least it wasn't when I was watching it this time around. And there's something about the original too, because we had it on DVD. That like that's just the version that's you know sort of burned into my brain. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I just wanted to go back and revisit the original. The extended scenes are interesting, but I ultimately think it was the right move to cut them um, just for pacing reasons. And I like sort of, um, I actually like the work that the movie makes you do to put things together where it feels like some of the central sort of relationship drama is happening under the surface mm-hmm. or off screen. Mm-hmm. And you're just mm-hmm. kind of picking up clues. I feel like it makes the movie more engaging where it kind of makes you lean forward. If you're having to put some of the pieces together yourself. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like yeah, for example, sense. like, um, like the, in, the, it, it, it's implied and it probably happened, but like with, um, Jimmy kind of like having an affair with with um, that one singer, or at least something, some kind of fling. fling. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Exactly. No, I, I had no idea that there was a Snyder cut, so I just went on <laughs> I went on YouTube and just watched the 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 free one because I'm poor. <laughs> so I was like, hey, it's free. I'm gonna watch it. And then, well, but what did you think yeah. of it? Oh, well, I'll just dive right in then. Um, I dug it a lot. I, I remember growing up in the 90s, uh, my cousin, one of my cousins, uh, one of our old uh, hosts, uh, Fred, his younger sister, completely enamored with the film. Like, she absolutely loved it. I remember seeing the VHS all over the house. You know, I, I'd go over to the house all the time and hang out. With her. And just I know she would watch it all the time. She had it on there all the time. 
And I just never got down to sitting around with her to watch it because I was like, oh, it's probably some whatever movie. But getting into it, um, I've seen a, a bunch of biopics, you know, over the years, music biopics, and I'm not gonna lie. I, 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 as a big horror fan, I felt this movie was so scary because I was like, "Oh my god, I really don't want anything bad to happen to these people." Like, I was uh-huh. really enjoyed all the characters, and because you've seen so many biopics, I was so anxious because I was like, "Oh my god, who's gonna get a drug overdose? Who's gonna like?" Gonna, <laughs> that like, was Dewey. This is me, Dewey. Like, like who's who's gonna like commit suicide? Something like I was so scared because I was like, "All these characters are so sweet and cool." And, you know, like, that, they're really trying their hearts out. And they mm-hmm. were just, like, so I think that was my favorite part was the characters. So I was like, please, I don't want anything bad to happen to them. So luckily enough, I mean, nothing horrible happened. No overdoses, no suicides, as, you know, usually seen biopics. No, but, um, no one ripped off a sink off the wall, which I was expecting. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, well, yeah no, oh, sorry, go ahead. <laughs> No, I was just going to say, you're making a really good point, which is that this is kind of like the family version of like a, you know, music biopic where I feel like music biopics because the lives that musicians have led are often kind of edgy, that this is like a music biopic with all of the edges sort of dulled down in like a very approachable and way that I think is a like appropriate to the time period and everything. But this is certainly one that you like could watch with your parents. It's <laughs> very wholesome. It's very positive. The worst thing that happens is that somebody gets their heart broken. Like that's truly the worst thing that happens and they lose Ooh. their record. They're in breach of contract by the end. No, no, um, <laughs> yeah. which is, which is great. I, I think, mm-hmm. I, I think the reason I saw it so much I come from a really conservative family. And the reason that I think I saw it so much is because I could watch it with my parents. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's as wholesome as, as only Tom Hanks could, could write, you know? Right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I was going to say, I feel like it's interesting because I feel like Tom Hanks is just like a little less wholesome than he usually is. And I think he kind of had fun with that. Like he, mm-hmm. you can tell he's like, he's like, he's almost like his character. He's almost like Chuck Nolan, his character from, um, from Castaway in the beginning right. of the movie, the whole movie. And I think because he is that you know, kind of supporting character, he doesn't have to be the kind of G-golly, you know, Tom Hanks. He gets to be just a little bit of like, he's, you know, you like him, but he's, he's still a businessman, you know. He's kind of an asshole, but like in a very charming way. Yeah, exactly. yeah. that's a perfect way to put it. Mm-hmm. Where, or so, he's the kind of an asshole. Yeah, well, you feel like he's the kind of an asshole that's good at his job. Mm-hmm. So you're like... Exactly. He's not here to be their friend, but he is here to make them really successful and famous. And for that reason, you can trust him to do that, right? Like, he's not necessarily going to be a shoulder to cry on, and he's not going to necessarily what happens in their care, what happens in their personal lives. But from the minute you meet him, he's just kind of shrewd and very canny. And, you know, he sees an opportunity to make them famous and successful so he does want what's best for them in that sense which does essentially make him trustworthy and just like to be honest is exactly the kind of person you want to be managing your band or just (laughs) representing you in any way you want someone who's going to take no shit but you know basically be there on your behalf yeah 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 that's why I think the one scene that I was a little bit like, you know, I'm like a little bit on the fence that they cut it out was the one where you see him talking to 
um, Howie Long's character, and it's just kind of like he. You see that there is this other side to him. He's just kind of like, all right, we're gonna we gotta get you home. Um, you know, for anybody who didn't see the extended cut, it's he kind of like um, Tom Hanks's actual wife, Rita Wilson, who's the waitress at the bar, drops him off, and Tom Hanks has been waiting there, and like Howie Long is just there with his arms crossed, very upset, just and he's just kind of like. Hey, he's like, all right, let's go, let's go. And he's like, all right, I'm off the clock. And you see there is this kind of other side to him. There is a, you know, it's like implying that we are just kind of seeing this one, just the surface of this character. And he's right. got a lot of depth. Yeah. Well, I think in to kind of counteract that, uh, counter that, um, I think we get that feeling with his interactions with, um, with Liv Tyler's character. Um, because he, from the beginning, he's like, mm-hmm. okay, this, who is she to you? Oh, she's my girlfriend. Okay, well, she's she's your this. Like, she's... He knows that she's important to the band. Like, she's not... He's not... She's He's not trying to push her away or anything like that. You get a very sense that he really cares for Liv Tyler's character. And then, you know, knows... Like, before they do, like... Um, Guy and, and Liv Tyler should be together. You know, kind of thing. So he has this, like, background, like father that's like letting the kids like go their way find their own way and Mm -hmm. and but i will intervene if i need to you know kind of thing so like i always got that sense of like tom hanks is like really does care for them but he is a businessman he is managing them he wants what's best for them yes it will get him stuff but still in the end he's like like you i'm sorry like you guys are dime a dozen it happens all the time but you know mm-hmm. kind of thing yeah well that scene that you're talking about with him and Liv Tyler's character Faye is so lovely when they're at the bar and he's sort of starting to like ask about you know their personal lives he's like how long have you and Jimmy been you and Jimmy um and it's kind of like diving in and then y- you can tell he's kind of subtly guiding her toward <laughs> Guy where he's like anybody yeah. back home think that Guy's amazing like mm-hmm. um and Again, Tom Hanks's performance here, that part is really um, sparsely written, but Tom Hanks's performance brings all this dimensionality to it, mm-hmm. um, where he clearly has crafted a very rich three-dimensional life for this character where he has existed as a manager and seen actually a lot of bands long before he has discovered the wonders. And he will continue doing this work very successfully after he, after they're gone, basically. But he's not, you know, carved out of stone. There is this hair for all of the people in his charge. It is very paternal in that sense. And so I think that scene is really lovely and I can just see, like I'm picturing it in my brain. I can see Tom Hanks's face where he's looking at Liv Tyler um, and just kind of assessing what's going on in sort of like the hearts of the band as a group. And it is very, um, yeah, what an interesting and cool role to write for yourself. (laughs) (laughs) Right? Because that's the thing is that he basically wrote and directed this movie himself and Mm-hmm. You know, it's a very cool concept or, or just position from which to approach a movie like this. Yeah, yeah. Uh, to have this character who isn't even introduced until, you know, sort of uh, early into the second act is when we mm-hmm. meet that character, um, mm-hmm. whose name is Mr. White, by the way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Interestingly like- enough, just kind of by coincidence, we've been doing just like 
a lot of movies where one of the stars or a supporting character wrote slash directed it. Like we just did um, Death to Smoochie with Danny DeVito. We did Walter mm-hmm. Mitty with Ben Stiller. And so it's just that kind of this recurring thing. It was like, yeah, these, these um, actors are kind of writing characters that they, they obviously know themselves very well. And they're making characters that fit very well into, um, you know, their kind of repertoire. Yeah. Yeah, wrote it, wrote and um, wrote it while on a press tour for Forrest Gump because he was bored. <laughs> so and then like now <laughs> the movie that's like now essentially he's named his production company Playtone after them, mm-hmm. um, which is like all freaking. I I always love the Playtone like name and stuff like that. So I really love that him and um, Rita Rita Wilson's like. Um, production company is named after you know this movie um before i start i want to um alan did you have anything else to add well real fast i didn't even know playtone was fictional i thought that was real because they had in the background and Uh everything i was like yeah like i I swear it was the mandela effect because i was like oh yeah i've seen that Mm -hmm. little before i've seen them on old Mm -hmm. records and then you said that now and i was like Oh, well, maybe I'm wrong. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, I did too for for the longest time. Yeah. No, it it tricked me as well. Like it it got me because it looks it looks like legit like something from that era. You know, like yeah. Yeah, yeah. it's very much like a a princess bride. Like the if yeah. you re- if you read the book, you really think that this is like it's implied like oh this is like an old old world like fairy tale and stuff like that. And it wasn't until like. A couple years after I like read it, I was like, "Wait, it wasn't like he didn't adapt this." <laughs> no, William Goldman just came up with all this idea. What well, I wanted, I want to know the story of the of the cloak. What? What? <laughs> like you know, so it's yep. like all this. It's all this. Um, but yeah, for me to start, um, let me let me get put on the right stage shades. Okay. Um, <laughs> Very nice. Um. So, so yeah. Ariel just put on the shades. You know. Because I got the of this my, podcast. So uh-huh. to start off with the shades and shades himself, Guy P, um, Patterson, um, Derek. That that this is why. It, like I, I don't know if you w- during La La Land, I saw the irony of of course I showing up at the end mm-hmm. and being the one to suggest to to Emma Stone to go into a jazz club because of course of course shades yeah. would go into a jazz club and that Mitch is why Patterson? yeah and of course and that's why sadly sorry Ryan Gosling you're amazing but Guy Patterson is my OG jazz aficionado in in movies like I just like yeah he can't he can't hold a candle to to um to Ryan Gosling's character in, in La La Land for me because he is my first but yeah like uh, this movie is is amazing like I mean yeah, I watched it um pretty fairly when it when it came out my my sisters were in that um age for it to be like you know to watch it and then of course i watched it with them and it it ended up being very much like a a local kind of movie for us in orange county because it's filmed in orange um california orange circle um i have actually eaten at watson's it's kind of been redone but i did eat at watson's when it was still that Mm -hmm. kind of like decor and so, like, seeing it on that, and they always have, like, the record store 
in the circle of orange has like a that thing you do like poster that tom hanks signed and stuff like that and like i um, need to go there yeah oh it's really I, I really go, awesome I would drink in there well before covid i went drinking there like every other day so that's that's hilarious <laughs> now, now i'm gonna go back and like look for it but that's awesome yeah it's watson's watson's um pharmacy slash re it's now just fully a restaurant it's been remodeled and stuff like that really nice oh, looking oh my god um, i can't even believe it yeah of course uh-huh yeah and then yeah like it's just like and then um the one of the fairs grounds i just like watching uh -huh. looking through imdb right now i'm like i got i graduated graduate school there and <laughs> stuff like that because like my um school was around pomona so it was in the fairfax pomona so it's just like really awesome to have this kind of connection to this movie that like we've touched on it is is very much um uh, it's not your classic like like um, band movie where the bad things happen or you know the drama for the drama as you can see from from um, Bohemian Rhapsody and and stuff like that. It is very much a movie that has like all these different elements to it. Besides, you know, the story of a band of a one hit wonder band, you also have like this love story that's not overcompensating the movie it's very subtle and like i i've always like thought of like guy and phase like love and how they fall in love and then is so nice and so pure and like fate like one of my favorite moments in like cinematic history for me is when Faye, you know tells jimmy like mm -hmm. shame on me for closing my eyes so tight while i kissed you and it's like, mm -hmm. it's such a heartbreaking moment. And like Liv Tyler just just sells it so much of how like pure of a, a girl she is and why she like, why she does not deserve this at all. She does not deserve Jimmy. Jimmy, you know, it's like, yeah, he's like in the art. He's like for the art and stuff like that. But he's a dick to everyone because of it. And, um, and yeah, and then, then like got, you know, like Jimmy telling like, guy like take off those shades and he's like i should have dumped you in pittsburgh and he's like why mm -hmm. didn't you dump her in pittsburgh i'm like oh guy and, like, and then yeah just like um i come from a band background i was like in band in um junior high and high school and like played the sax alto saxophone and like wasn't good enough for the jazz band but i always wanted it i love jazz like you know and then I really am sad that I Am Spartacus isn't on the CD because I love I know, that it's I a Am great Spartacus. Piece. Yeah, yeah. And um, and it's just, yeah, I just love this movie through and through. And just, like, I was quoting it back and forth, like, while watching it this year, right now. And, like, just the funny, reading up on the funny things of, like, the trivia and stuff like that, that, like, um, Ethan Emery's character technically never has a, a name it's just mm -hmm. the mm -hmm. bass player, player yeah. tv player mm -hmm. he kind of gave him a name officially of tobias which because tb tobias um player i guess his last name is but but yeah and then yeah also um everybody quotes like another tom hanks movie of of saving which we also discussed on this podcast of saving mr bakes as being the first movie to film in Disneyland, but no, Tom Hanks accomplished that in this movie, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so and got and got the classic, yeah, like Matterhorn um, shoots and a classic Mickey Mouse and Goofy, and it's like Tom Hanks, 
Yes, he did it years ago. <laughs> so, yeah. Well, you were reminding me, Ariel, that, like, this movie is really quotable. <laughs> Really quotable. If you're a fan of this movie, virtually everything is quotable. And a lot of it is, you know, from Derek, as you mentioned, Steve Zahn's character, Lenny, has this super offbeat, like hard to kind of get sense of humor in some ways, where I feel like you could do, I feel like I could literally talk for an hour about Steve Zahn's performance in this and the character of Lenny because. It's he's so off the wall and unpredictable and makes every scene like a thousand times funnier. And his line readings are just the last line reading that you would expect. I don't know. <laughs> I, I would be so curious to I haven't actually read the screenplay of this. I don't know if it's out there, um, but I would be so curious to know if Steve's like how much Steve Zahn brought to the part and how much he like maybe changed it or improvised or worked with Tom Hanks on crafting that part, because it's so funny because I say and, and those are the lines that I quote the most. Like so my family and I quote this movie a lot like we could quote almost any line from this movie. Um, but one of the ones I say all the time is, wait, where was I? Oh, playing songs on my guitar. <laughs> so good. Yes. It's so good. Yeah. My, it's my, just like. Yeah. Yeah. My go-to is, is um, how, Skitch, how do we get here? I like oh, you, yeah. sir. For I am, I am Spartacus. Spartacus. I'm like. Yeah. Or <laughs> I love the one where it's just like, like, I wonder what happened to the O'Neaters. Like, it's like Steve's <laughs> on. He's one of those guys who there's not like an iconic Steve Zahn role that you can think of, but he's it's always this. great. No, he's, it's I, 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 you're right, you're right. But like, he's he's always great. He'll just like show up in movies like, you know, like Saharan's like, you're just like, he's always incredible. Like you, like, I love him. He's such a great, like, you know, kind of like, like character actor slash bit player that always just elevates the movie that's around him. Yeah, like he's like, you got to be quick with me. I'm from Erie, PA. Like, it does that whole scene where they're cutting to him and he's just playing cards with these guys in the bar? It's yes. awesome. Oh. I do want to say really quick. I have mm. met Steve Zahn. I was in a movie with him. Oh my god! Cool. No I was worries. okay. So this is a random story, but I was an extra when I was uh, in high school in a movie that was shooting in Central Ohio, which is where I graduated from high school. Um, and it was a one of a Kirsten Stewart's earliest movies so i actually met her as well and talked to her quite a bit when we were teenagers when we were like 16 <laughs> 17 years old it was super bizarre um so i, I met her but then also steve zahn played the art teacher in that movie oh um, that's really so, cool um i i got to talk to him for a, a little bit as well and I was already such a massive that thing you do fan. Like at that point, I was like, <laughs> I think 2002 or 2003 or something. And I, that's this was like the movie I knew Steve Zahn from. And I was just like, oh my God, it's Lenny from that thing you do. And, and nerded out about it so hard. But he's so lovely and was just such a, like, even in just a scene with like a bunch of random teenagers. And, and for the record, all of the local, like all of the like bit, teen parts because it's a high school movie it was like a lifetime movie that we were in um <laughs> all of the bit parts were all just like all the local teens from columbus ohio like community theater so it was just like me <laughs> and all my friends from like columbus ohio community <laughs> theater playing like these bit parts in this in this uh lifetime movie with steve zahn and kirsten stewart but anyway um it was a lovely experience and uh steve zahn is 
did not get to do as much in that film as he gets to do in that thing you do. And I feel like he was underutilized in the movie that I was in with him, but nonetheless, he was a joy to work with and did a very good job on that part as the art teacher. But uh, yeah, he's, (laughs) he's absolutely fantastic in this from top to bottom. Everybody is. Ethan Embry is as well. Um, who I adore Ethan Embry Empire Records is like what like formative movie for me. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, Ethan Embry's good in everything too. And uh, yeah, absolutely. Like, it's just like if Tyler is so lovely, I love the way that the, her part is written. Um, it's not often you get to see uh, a character like two characters that are essentially kind of shy right like she's kind of shy guy is kind of a shy character and though they get to be the focus of the whole movie right like any other version of this movie would be about jimmy and Mm -hmm. this movie Mm -hmm. is not about jimmy and thank god i don't know there's so much that i (laughs) love about it (laughs) yeah yeah no faye always like was one of those characters that i wanted to be as a character as as a (laughs) you know growing up of just like like she was she was like you know like in in other like you said in other movies she would be seen as like the you know the ro- is it the roadie or groupie right the groupie, groupie yeah. and stuff like that but no she's like such like like they said like the heart of of mm-hmm. this band you know and stuff so yeah she always like i always loved her in in this and then yeah yeah, and just all the interactions between her and Guy are just so wholesome, and it just makes you... Root. There's never, like, a moment, like, you would get in a lot of movies where it's just, like, you know, they're, like, they have, like, something they're ashamed of that they do with each other, but it's just, like, he goes back and gets her when she gets separated from the band, or he's like, yeah, we gotta bring her, she's part of the band, and, like, not a lot of people see it, but Tom Hanks, he, you know, Mr. White, he sees it, you know, um... But real fast, I just wanted to circle back to something you were saying, Ariel, about a lot when you talked about La La Land, because... I've made a note that I was just like, at the end of this movie, I feel like when it's telling what their lives were, it should have just, it was like, Guy became a cl- <laughs> Academy Director, Academy Awarding Director Damien Chazelle. Like, that's exactly <laughs> what I felt like. He would just grow up and become Damien Chazelle like a jazz drummer, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the, you're, you're really pointing it out there, Derek, where the relationship between Guy and Faye is so pure in such a way that it doesn't make us like it doesn't force us to pick a side or feel like they're transgressing some boundary right they're just really good friends and i feel (laughs) like we don't have enough examples in film of like people who are genuinely friends like i watched this movie as i have discussed a lot and there are like scenes i guess in the extended edition where they're overtly flirting with each other but in the theatrical cut all of the scenes you can read them as just they're not secretly attracted to each other or they're not like you know edging near the like crossing the line where like she's in a relationship with somebody else they really are just friends they like each other as people and there isn't mm-hmm. like a bunch of subtext in every scene. It's not like when I watch this movie, I'm constantly going, well, ooh, is this the scene where like someone's going to make a move? Is there all of this like sexual tension under the surface? There isn't. They just really enjoy being around each other. I love the, it's just a really brief shot in the state fair sequence where they're all just kind of like partying at the state fair and they're on the scrambler. Mm-hmm. 
you know? Mm-hmm. And they're on the scrambler with, I think they're in a car with Lenny. Yeah. And Lenny's like, uh-huh. like looking, I really hate this on one corner of the scrambler car. And Guy and Faye are on the other corner of the scrambler car. And they're just like, we love this. We're having the best time. Mm-hmm. Like, and it's, it's wordless. It's just part of a montage, but it communicates volumes about who they are as people and why, like they understand each other. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think there is a worse version of this film where, like, Jimmy's like, you've been flirting with, with Faye, yeah. and that's why they break up. And I'm mm-hmm. so, I was, I couldn't remember why they broke up when I rewatched it, and I thought that was it, and I'm so glad it, that wasn't it. It was just, like, and Jimmy, while he's a jerk, he's not, like, irredeemable. He's not, like, a monster like so many movies would do to just kind of cheaply get you on the side of Jimmy and, or right. of uh, Guy and Faye. To just make the you know the other party a monster, you know, um, they, he actually is like just feels like a real realized person, and you know it doesn't take the cheap way out. It does everything really organically and just it earns it. Exactly, I, I really agree with that because those was my biggest fear. Where again, I was like, oh my god, as soon as there was those like little subtle instances where um, Guy and uh, Liv Tyler's character were, you know, like they're being friendly and all that. And I was like, oh, my God, they're going to sleep together. He's going to find them in the bed. And then that's how the band breaks up. Like, I was already making, like, (laughs) storylines. But, no, it just became, like, an organic, natural thing where, like... But you could also see it throughout the movie where, like, Jimmy's kind of just never... His focus is never her. Like, he's just kind of like, I want to record. I want to do this. And and I want, like... And even in the photo at the end of the movie where she cuts it, you can... It literally shows you right there that like you know they're smiling at the photo and he's just kind of staring off into the distance kind of just not really there not really focusing it and and then when you know she says that iconic uh line when they when they kind of break up when they break up she's also kind of saying like dude like i i sacrificed all these kisses for you and and all these things and and like you just weren't really there and and like Mm -hmm. it made sense i was like I, i love that but i really appreciate is that like tom hanks directing was like I'm I'm glad that the Snyder Cut version isn't isn't the main one. I'm glad that like the this Hanks one, Cut, the mm-hmm. Hanks Cut, yeah, the Hanks Cut is like just I like the subtleties of it where and and it just feels more realistic, where it's just like yeah man like you know what you can see throughout the movie that Jimmy's just kind of focusing on his career and he's focusing on what he wants to do, and you know um oh my god her name keeps escaping me uh hey hey. Mm-hmm. I don't know why I can't get that. Like even in the movie they call her Faye, and I'm like, no, that's Liv Tyler. But uh, yeah, like Faye's character, you could tell she's like, well, you know, she's smiling at him when they when when they're performing, and he's just kind of not like there. Like you know, she's kind of focused on what he's doing, and it's kind of sad, like to see that you know she was like, oh, well, you know, I'm not. A, but I'm glad it it came to that conclusion where she's like, you know what, dude, we're done. Like I I can't be with you. You know, like the that that was the final straw that broke the the camel's back essentially, and then ex- exactly like you guys you guys were saying that that her and Guy were just friends, like they just like being around each other. They had a good time with each other. There was never any like, hey, so you know, I know you and Jimmy are having a da da da. Like that was one of my fears of of going into it, but yeah, I think that's what I really appreciate about it is is the subtleties, and you just have to kind of pay attention to what's going on in the background. Mm-hmm. There's a really uh, pointed moment. I mean, the thing is, if you watch this movie um, from any 
like one band member's point of view, it almost tells a different story, which is really fascinating. And it makes the movie really rewatchable where you're just like, I'm really just going to watch Ethan Embry's character the whole time and just see what he's experiencing as the story is going along. And you can do it with anybody. Um, and if you watch it through Jimmy's lens or just focus on Jimmy in every scene or, you know, basically just listen carefully to every single line that Jimmy says, he's so obviously such a tool the whole time. But mm -hmm. it's it's done with a light enough touch, as you were pointing out, Derek, that it's not broadcasting super loud like Jimmy's a dick like that would be the really easy thing to do with the character. It's such a tribute to the writing and the performance of the actor that we almost don't notice that Jimmy is a dick. Like we're, we're just like, oh, we're, we're with Guy and we're like, Guy's our protagonist and we love him. And, and Jimmy's a little bit like kind of up his own ass, but like, he's okay. Like he's just doing his best for most of the movie. Um, and then there are these like very deliberate sort of like steps along the way where we lose Jimmy and lose Jimmy and lose him some more. And one mm. of them is the one you guys pointed out where uh, Faye is getting left behind when the screaming girls are attacking the car and she's yelling Jimmy's name, but Jimmy doesn't hear her. And is it because he isn't listening for her? It's like, you're not going to hear exactly. her. You're not listening for her, dude. That got um, me so upset. I was so mm -hmm. mad. But then Guy just grabs her, which is so beautiful. But again, it's not like sexual. It's not flirting. It's just like, this is my, yeah. this is a person I care about. And I've noticed she's over there. Um, but another one is when they're on the plane and Faye is sick. Yes. And Guy kind of like tucks her in. And it's such a cute little moment between the two of them. But then he goes and sits down with Mr. White and Lenny and everybody and Jimmy. And he says, Faye's sick. And he kind of just announces it to the group of like, or, hey, Faye's not feeling very well. Mm -hmm. Expecting everyone to like pay attention and be concerned. And Jimmy looks at Guy, hears him, and immediately turns to Mr. White and says, anyway, going back to what we were talking about with the tour or something. Like, yeah, when, just, when are you going to be? He doesn't address and, it at yeah. all. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he's mm -hmm. like. So when were you going to get into the recording studio, which is his big, right. big goal? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's it's just those moments. The other one is where Diane Dean comes over and sits on his lap. And you're just like, mm. God, I hate you, Jimmy. Um, <laughs> Faye, there's so many moments like Faye that. Faye is literally like feet away in, behind the stage. And you're doing right. this kind of thing. I, Yeah. Well, there's a moment early on, again, if you go back and rewatch it, which I really recommend if you enjoyed it the first time around, it does really reward rewatching. Um, but there's a moment early on where they're trying to come up with a name for the band and Jimmy wants to be, you know, the herdsman. Yeah. And then he, and yeah. He's mm -hmm. like, Jimmy and the herdsman. You're just like, God, really? <laughs> <laughs> it's just that egocentric, not in an overt, not always in an overt way, but enough that it's present in every scene where just Jimmy's ego is taking up space and choking out room for everybody else. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. I find it very interesting how to see this movie through through the bass player uh, or Tobias Louis Belerand, um mm -hmm. perspective because to me, he is the biggest airhead ever. I'm like, every <laughs> moment, I'm like... You're so dumb. Like you like, it's just like <laughs> like uh, like it's very much of, like he's so pretty, yeah, you know. But yeah, he's just like it's like that you 
he's the one that you could kind of like, oh honey, oh honey, oh honey, no, what kind of thing and stuff like that. Yeah. So, yeah. so, so, who's the real winner at the yeah, end of it? <laughs> well, he is going to war, whichever war that is. I mean, oh yeah, uh, Vietnam. But... I think they he gets a purple heart. I think he gets injured yeah. in Vietnam. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mean, but before that, but I'm not gonna lie. The, when he was like doing push-ups for the for the other uh, soldiers, I was so scared. Yeah. I was like, "Oh my god, they're gonna get this guy trashed. He's gonna like it lost somewhere." No, they go to Disneyland. Yeah, they go to Disneyland. And I was like, "Oh, thank God." I was so scared for him. Well, the talk about Jimmy reminds me of my other favorite Lenny quote, which is, "There he goes off to his room to write that hit song, Alone in My Principles." <laughs> one of the best lines of Lenny is uh, where I think they're at the the radio station, and yeah. I think they're asking yeah. like, "Oh, what's your you know who inspired you?" <laughs> and then you know, I think guy says like, "Oh, Dale Paxton or whatever." And then Lenny's just like, "I can't remember the band's name, but he he says the band's name from the movie." Yeah, the, yeah, the Shrimp Shack Shooters. Oh yes. my god, that had me dying. I was like, dude, I would say some shit like that. Just like if it I was really mad, too, of like, really kind of thing is so good too. Like it makes him more prominent, and he doesn't get phased at all. He doesn't look ashamed or anything. He's just like, like proud of himself. Is so awesome. Oh my god, <laughs> Lenny man! And I love when he's just like talking to you know his eventual wife, like the Playboy Bunny, and he like kind of has that interaction. You can tell like he kind of just flirts because he's it's fun and it's funny. And then he's never really gotten like a good reaction before, and he just like doesn't know how to handle. He's like. I'm gonna leave now before I mess any of this up. Well, we have to talk about the songs, but all of this yes. talk about Lenny reminds me of one of my favorite songs in this movie, which is Dance With Me Tonight. And, mm-hmm. and so, singing. yeah, and, and yes. that's the one where the Lenny character is singing lead. And I think it's such a cool little sequence in the movie. It's not really related to anything. Like, there actually aren't any major character beats that happen in that scene at all. It's when they're on the, the stage that's in the round and the stage has their own record on it, right? With like uh, mm-hmm. the, yeah. that thing you do sort of record and printed on the round stage. And it's just, it's the only time we hear that song. So the band, The Wonders, plays four songs in the movie. They play That Thing You Do, All My Only Dreams, which sucks, Jimmy. <laughs> they play... Uh, Dance with me tonight, and then the other one is um, uh, it'll come back to me. Yeah, Ariel, I know you know it. (laughs) I'm I'm looking it up. Uh, Yeah, yeah. Which one is it? Oh goodness. But I love the idea that Lenny sings lead on a song because there's a subtle implication, or you could easily imagine that Lenny also maybe wrote that song. Mm -hmm. Right, like. Mm-hmm. It, it gives the yeah. it gives it like this sort of again it's done with such a light touch but it lets you as an audience member like oh Lenny's singing lead maybe Jimmy isn't the only one who who can sing lead maybe Jimmy isn't the only one who actually writes songs this song rules maybe Lenny should be like the lead but he doesn't take mm-hmm. it seriously enough to do that and I don't know I really love that little sequence um, and I have to assume it's only in the movie because. I don't know. There are a number of things that I think it really does for the narrative overall, but it's interesting that so many other scenes got cut and the the dance with me tonight scene got included. I don't know. I just really like it. Also, yeah, that song rocks. So if you don't have the soundtrack for this, 
just listen to it. Just get it. Listen to it. It's on Spotify, everybody. Just go listen to the soundtrack of this. It's, yeah, it's Spotify, great. Yeah, Spotify, Apple Music. Yeah, no, I was very surprised that a good amount of the songs Tom Hanks wrote, too. Like, Oh, oh yeah. He, yeah. Yeah, he wrote them, like, um, like... Specifically, like, hold my hand. Um, the one that the uh, chanterlines, yeah, chanterlines sing, yeah, hold my hand, hold my heart. That, yeah, I was just going through this. I'm like, dang, he even wrote this the Mexican song that they sing at the at the ta- talent show. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, it's just like, why are you writing all these awesome songs? Of course, the the that thing you do wasn't written by him, but all these like little songs that like yeah, like play into the story and stuff like that. It's just like like Tom Hanks, you know, just and like- the opening credit song, which is mm-hmm. "Loving You Lots and Lots." Um, yeah, that little just uh, like kind of musicy song that plays over the opening credits. Tom Hanks also wrote that, which is a really great one. Little Wild One is the other song that the Wonders do. Um, oh yeah, yeah, that's it. Uh huh. Yeah, 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 man. Oh, he also kind of helped helped write Spartacus too, which is my favorite. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but yeah, like yeah, just the music because like it's just like I love it when like music like is is very much in part of of movies and stuff like that, and like you do like like I I like seeing it in that perspective of of these songs might kind of like hold a deeper meaning. And then now like, that's what this podcast is always is of like us coming to realizations of these, all these like little hints of a deeper meaning of these movies that make it more reason why, you know, it should get more recognition of like, yeah, like did, did Lenny write that song did. And then also it's like, would that song he have even made it on the record if it did go forward because of Jimmy? Like, you know, would Jimmy, right? Because Jimmy had so much control, would it not be on there and stuff like that or and stuff? So, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, ob- obviously, an incredible soundtrack, like through and through. Like, I- I'm really glad we're talking specifically about the songs because like, I don't really, I I listen to a lot of music. I go to like, or before COVID, I went to a lot of music festivals, but I don't know anything like about songwriting or like any like chord progressions or anything like that but i'm just like i couldn't be like that sounds good (laughs) it's just like i i definitely like felt like you know my dad's a musician and you know like whenever we cover a music movie he he gets choked up like after we talked about that movie band slam like my mom sent me a snapchat of him just like crying watching band slam so (laughs) like so adorable and great but yeah, like you know, it it really it makes sense that you know that thing you do got nominated for best original song. Oh, um, yeah. Can yeah. I wait, wait for that? Yes, go go ahead, go. Yeah, it it should have won. Like I was <laughs> went back and looked. It was the the one original song in Evita, um, won. Not the best song Ooh. in Evita. It was it's, um oh I just not hummable. No, not Mummable at all. It won uh, the Madonna song, You Must Love Me um, song. It's the very depressing song when Evita is sick and, and you know, Patron, uh, Peron is, is taking care of her and stuff like that. Not the best song in Evita. Like, and I think I, I wouldn't be surprised if Madonna wrote it, but I'm just wow. like, oh, you guys messed up. This is like, you know, like, I know you're, uh, well, I know that the Oscars are capable when it comes to picking the right song. Sometimes they're not, sometimes they are. I mean, you know, you, for every falling solely that wins, you you, you lose to um, 
to you know like uh, uh Lin-Manuel not closing his his EGOT and keeping him from that but anyway um <laughs> but yeah this one should have definitely won uh, yeah compared to the other ones that were nominated yeah and a shout out to Adam Schlesinger who wrote the song that thing you do um an incredible songwriter uh, and musician all around who wrote a lot of the songs he was just so good at capturing the sound of like a, a genre or like even like a sub sub genre within a thing mm-hmm. like what a chameleon of songwriting and he was so good um and i remember we lost him to covid uh, early mm-hmm. on during the pandemic it was horrible um but if you want a, a lot of other adam schlesinger bangers you could watch crazy ex-girlfriend because he wrote more than half of the songs in that show um, i had no idea i love that show oh well, my god no, you you're know, blowing my Derek. mind yeah, oh well, of course. God. Who else was writing those songs? Oh my god! Look at Adam Schlesinger. Like, oh my god. Anyway, so yeah, uh, definitely check that show out um, if you want a showcase of just how in the incredible versatility of Adam Schlesinger and just what a tragedy that we lost him to COVID. Um, fuck. But yeah, we. Uh, I was in a. I myself was in a little band with my neighbors during COVID. I, I actually was in a band in real life sort of secretly uh, i'm not a musician i'm i'm like a i, I sing backup very mediumly um <clears throat> but i i know a lot of really talented musicians and so uh, i often find myself singing backup very mediumly uh with my friends and so uh, i did that with my neighbors during covid we formed a little band just out <laughs> on the street where we could like play distant socially distanced music and mostly we just played covers on fridays at like 5 p.m and uh, the week that Adam Schlesinger passed away, we we covered that thing you do, and mm-hmm. it was really emotional. Um, what a talent! Yeah, wow, that's 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 really cool. That's that's awesome. Like that you were able to do that. I I think yeah. Now knowing especially that he did this, and w- there's so much diversity in the songs and Crazy Ex Girlfriend. You're like, wow, this song is a perfect representation of the, mu- the music man, and this is like. You know, really good. This is how like Rihanna sounds, and this is like an old like traditional right? Jewish folklore song. It gets it's crazy how they that that yeah a chameleon like as you put it, Trisha. Like that's perfect. Wow, that's yeah. yeah. And unless I'm mistaken, one of the sort of like stories of lore behind that thing you do was that Tom Hanks was searching far and wide mm-hmm. for the title song, right? Mm-hmm. I believe he held like a nationwide competition and was like, the yeah. name of that song is the that thing you do. Anybody, like, here's what kind of what we needed to sound like. Anybody could write it and submit. And um, I don't know the exact process by which he sort of judged that competition, but it's no shock that Adam Schlesinger's song that is the title track of this rose to the top because it rules so hard. It's so (laughs) much fun. It's so danceable. The minute that you hear the drum beats that open it up, so good. Um, Yeah. Like, I, but one of the other like not chosen songs that's also called "That Thing You Do" is is played during the credits of this, mm-hmm. which was like by sort of herdsman. a runner up, is my understanding. Yeah, by the herds, Jimmy and the herds. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, yeah. But yeah, that's really cool. Okay, I was wondering what that song was at the end. I was like, oh, this is this is the thing that you do. No, okay, that's that's really cool. Uh, and just one other random stray thought that I had is like this movie is chalked to the brim with great cameos. Like there yeah. are so many. You're like, oh, that's like 
Oh, playing Guy Grisham is um um uh, why am I basing on his name? Walter White, uh, Malcolm Middle's dad. Uh, uh, yeah, yes, Brian Cranston. Brian Cranston. Yeah. I forgot. His, yeah, and then you know you have Colin Hanks as the usher. Paul Feig, uh, Feige is in this movie. Just or sorry, Paul Feig is in this movie. Um, just yeah, so many just like like Brian we mentioned, Howie Long is in that. Movie. It's so many just like great little Charlie Theron. Are we not going to talk about Charlie Theron playing completely against what we now know is her type? Yes. Yeah, yeah, no, exactly, and I mean, like, just like, it, it, it's like, her character even is kind of like, like, do you, am I okay with, like, her breaking up with Guy or not, like, should I not like her, should I like her, for the most part, I think it's just, like, amicable, like, they're adults, like, she just doesn't feel like she's into what he is into and I feel like off screen like they did have an amicable breakup because like he's she's like he's like yeah he she ended up you know being with a, a dentist and stuff like that and stuff so it's like I think for her like especially with rewatching it this time it's like she just wanted to have a normal quiet life you know stable life and I think that guy you know being wanting to become a musician just wasn't that and so she's like oh well you know we're not in the same world kind of thing you know so it's like yeah well she just wants more attention than clearly Mm. he's like willing to give her like she's um you know the movie kind of makes her out to be a bitch but i think you're right that she that's not really a fair characterization it's just that she really isn't interested in anything the guy's interested in mm-hmm. but it does make sense the movie does this really subtle character work with guy early on where it it hints to us that he's kind of like a dreamboat and all the girls love him right mm-hmm. where it's when they're in the diner at the very beginning and there, you know, Steve Zahn comes up to talk to him and he's like, hey, you want to come see us? We're playing the, like, talent show out at the Marymount College or whatever. Um, and Guy's like, oh, you know, Chad's going to do Wipeout. And they're just, they're kind of, you know, cracking jokes about that. These girls walk by and they're like, hi, Guy. And he kind of <laughs> doesn't notice them, right? Which, A, makes that little moment is subtle. It makes Guy really likable because it lets us know that he doesn't know he's a total dreamboat mm-hmm. really like a guy who doesn't know um mm-hmm. but it also gives us like if we're willing to put it together it gives us an explanation as to why charlie's theron's character whose name is tina why tina would be with him because it's like well she's clearly the kind of girl who's into like status and who's into like having the best or you know like basically like guy is kind of like a trophy for her almost that she got this sort of like ungettable guy because she's so you know cool and put together and like she herself is such a catch right like she's trying to kind of trying to craft this um make them into like sort of this like gorgeous power couple right Mm -hmm. and guy's not remotely interested in that but Mm -hmm. it's just you can see how maybe in tina's mind well, if she's with Guy and all the other girls want to be with Guy, then, like, he's just kind of, like, the hottest thing in Erie, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, yeah. uh, but yeah. Guy doesn't realize that she's also the hottest thing in Erie, and Guy is also <laughs> not interested in being the hottest thing in Erie, is the other thing. Like, yeah. Guy's only, Guy's really only interested in enjoying himself and playing his music the best that he can, right? So, like, I don't know. It's a really fascinating sort of, relationship that we only get a few hints of 
but that has all of these little subtle moments. Like so many, like so much of this movie is just told in subtlety. Yeah. Like, and part of me wonders if that's why it's so maybe underrated or unappreciated is because it's a little bit more of like a thinking movie than it seems to be on the surface. Yeah, yeah. Another character um, uh, that Giovanni Rubinsky um, plays. Yeah, is Rubisi. Chad. Rubisi. Yeah, Chad. Um, and like you kind of get that. It, for me, my kind of headcanon of it is like he ended up marrying Guy's sister, you know? like they, Sure, they, yeah, that's yeah. what I thought too. Yeah, he yeah. seemed like up, a great couple. Yeah, they like, are together, like, you know, watching the thing. And it's really nice that he's not but her or anything like that. Yeah. He essentially is the like because tom hanks grabbed a lot of like lore from other other um bands and stuff like mm -hmm. that around the day so so like with this one it's it's famously um the drummer for pete best for for what pete best uh, oh pete best from the beatles yeah is it the beatles? yeah the original yeah, drummer the for the beatles yeah the original drummer for the beatles that essentially like barely lost you know his chance to be with the Beatles and go on and, and like, you know, have that success and stuff like that. So yeah, you have that. But I really like that he's like didn't have any hard feelings. He's just like, I'm here for a job kind of thing and like and and stuff. It was really cool seeing him that character. Yeah, I, I loved that too. Cause like when you're watching you you don't see him for a while and then he comes back and then he's like takes his job and like, oh is he gonna like do like a single white female thing where he's like taking his life that he like he took my <laughs> life so I'm gonna take and I thought it was going to go that way, but it's just, no, it's just wholesome. Like, he's there, like, watching, you know, them being on, you know, the the show there at the end. And he's just kind of, like, he's happy and supporting them. And I'm like, that's great. Like, he's still, he's not bitter at all. And I, I loved that. Mm -hmm. He has that little moment of jealousy when they first are, they're playing at the talent show. Mm -hmm. And he's like, come on, that's too fast. And, you know, isn't, like, thinks that they're messing it up and they're doing it wrong. And then somebody runs into him with his broken arm. Um, oh, yeah. But it, that's, like, the only moment that we see him being, like, yeah, kind of mad about it. And it's so funny. Again, th the movie is so able to um, win us to Guy's story and, like, win us into, like, wanting success for the band. That, and it tells us virtually nothing about Chad. And yet we don't feel remotely bad for Chad at all. Like... <laughs> Chad's just like sort of a clown over there that like has done almost nothing to deserve our hatred or our like disdain. And yet, I don't know, we just kind of feel disdain for him. Giovanni Verbisi has a very punchable face. Yeah. yeah. So a lot of the work is in the casting, I guess. Yeah. Well, it's just why he was that kind of similar part in, uh, you know, the the kind of uh, the other guy in uh, Lost in Translation. You just kind of like instantly like, oh, oh my God. Right. Yeah. <laughs> he's only got like one scene. Avatar, but you're like... Which is also he's extremely punchable in Avatar. Oh, yeah. <laughs> true. Yeah. True. True. Yeah. You, yeah. You, you know, it, it, I feel like, you know, as good as Lost in Translation is, it does kind of do like a little bit of easy thing where like it gives you this guy and makes him very, very unlikable. Um, totally. So, yeah. Masterful character work. Talked about. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I don't know. Any, any final thoughts here, guys, before we, we wrap it up? I know we all enjoyed, really enjoyed this movie. Well, I could literally talk for one more hour, so um, <laughs> I'll, I'll take it back. Uh, no, I was just going to ask everybody uh, just a fun little question. Um, uh, I, I know you guys really, really like the Wonders, but are there any other fictional bands 
that you guys are huge fans of from other movies, like from or stories oh. or anything like that that you're like, um, yes. I wish they were real. Thank you for asking. Drive Shaft is one of my favorites. Oh my um, god. <laughs> I don't think I was, it's been, there's been like a month period where I haven't mentioned Lost on this show, Trisha. So. <laughs> I was just thinking about the, their hit, You All Everybody, uh, today. And yes. what a classic it is. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but obviously, up, still, still Water is another one. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Still Water from, yeah. Um, going back to a movie that we, we discussed um, in, on, on this podcast is um, I Can't Go On, I'll Go On from Band Slam. I really love their their dynamic and of course the use of i'm a sucker for for horns and all that i mean i i do like ska um but yeah i do like um i can't go on i'll go on from from band slam yeah i think for me it might be sex bomb like i i love yeah, thank you sorry to steal it from me alan um <laughs> but yeah like me. I, I, cause, uh, yeah, they're so great, and I just, I love young Neil. Like, he's, he's just such a wholesome, like, dude. Um, yeah, like, yeah, I, I love this, the Scott Pilgrim soundtrack. Um, you know, oh, yeah. Uh, and there's, there's a lot of great fictional bands in that. You know, um, you know, you have uh, Envy's band, who I know Metric does like the actual music for them, but I forget their fictional name in the movie. Um, Clash of uh, Demon Head. Yep. Yes. The Clash yeah. of Demon Head. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, yeah, and then what's it? And the boys, something in the boys, um, in that um, same movie. Yeah, is, is this is the girl a boy too? Yes. Just... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Not a race, guys. Yep. Oh man. Right, any any other ones for you, Alan? Other than since I stole yours. Um. No, I mean, I, I'm. Uh, I mean. We were talking about jazz earlier, and I—I I, I mean, they're technically not fictional, but they—they they became a band for the show, and it would be the seatbelts for Cowboy Bebop. I mean, mm, Tank is already that's a good pull. Tank's already an amazing, you know, opening theme and just song in general. But yeah, mm. I mean, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, they're technically real, but they did it for their mm. show. But yeah. Oh, oh, the Crescendals from uh, Interstellar 5555. Like, I mean, it's just Daft Punk, but yeah, still, definitely. like, they're like weird alien, you know, at beings that get abducted and, you know, play Daft Punk songs. So, yeah, I got to go with them, too. Um, Captain Geach and the Shrimp Shack Shooters. <laughs> yeah. Captain, uh, yeah. That's so much. Captain 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 with it. It's the there's two layers. <laughs> I was like, if I knew the name, I was going to say it. And I was like, I hope somebody can do it. I was like, I can because he says it so fast. I'm like, well, but yeah, there, that's great. <laughs> that's so good. Oh man. Well, well. Uh, thank you so much for being on, Trisha. Um, like, what thank you for taking the time. Appreciate it's, it. I, I, I love this movie. Um, you know, I'm and uh, Trisha for anybody out there who's listening, um, who isn't familiar with her podcast, Beyond the Screenplay. It's a podcast I listen to every week. Anybody who likes movies, if you're listening to this show, you obviously do. Check that immediately, especially if you are interested in kind of like screenplays and, you know, things like that. Um, also check out the YouTube channel that goes along with that, Lessons from the Screenplay. They've got a ton of incredible videos. Um, Trisha also does a bunch of other stuff, you know, screenwriter, of course. Uh, anything else you want to mention, Trisha, or elaborate on? Uh, no, although, you know, I have a, a movie apparently coming out in a li- in not too long from now that is about giant worms, so I will update you on that for when my giant worms film is coming out. Um, okay. 
It's called Tremor It Crawls inspired. Beneath. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> <laughs> no, I, Dune? I, oh, God. No. I would just be sitting on a large pile of money. Um, like, I'm not even here. I just am a large pile of money. In <laughs> Dune. Um, no, I have a, a, a different Giant Worms movie that's apparently coming out. So, but I will uh, let you guys know. I don't have the release date on that yet. But yeah, that's... Um, uh, a film that I wrote uh, right back before the pandemic that I guess is finally maybe seeing a distribution somewhere. Um, I guarantee it will not be good, uh, but it would I probably be very highly. <clears throat> well, so I will cool. tell That's you, so cool. um, it was really fun to write and I got to be on set a little bit and they did all of the giant worms, not with CGI, not with really bad CGI, but with like actual puppets that were made in like a creature shop that looked oh, like the look most practical. 80s. Oh, they're so cool. And they had so much like slime all over their mouths and like <laughs> teeth. It Okay. It, it may yeah. look really good. It, it probably won't be a good movie ultimately, but like it will be probably really fun to watch. So I'm, I'm also looking to forward to seeing it. Yeah. <clears throat> That's really awesome. But yeah, yeah. Uh, listen, listen to our, our podcast. That's uh, that's the primary way to um, find me, I guess, if you want to put it that way. Yeah, and uh, all the all uh, the links to all that stuff is going to be in the description out there. Anybody who's listening, um, but yeah, and anybody who's listening, if you know, so I'd definitely check out Trisha after you're done with that. Check out um, the rest of our stuff if you like this episode. You can give us a follow, however you listen. Um, we're on. Spotify, Apple Podcasts, um, YouTube as well. Um, we've got a Patreon if anybody wants to check that out. Um, but yeah, Ariel, like she had mentioned, also does another podcast you've never seen where she walks us through movies that we, me or Alan should have uh, seen by this point or sometimes the other way around. I know we've got that Labyrinth episode coming out, Ariel, where I okay. we got to finally see Labyrinth, so that was a really exciting one. Um, but yeah, uh, thanks everybody for listening. Um, this has been so much fun. Great, great episode. Um, uh, and I'll see you all in another life. It's pretty amazing. Take it easy, everybody. Bye, everyone. <laughs> <laughs>